and welcome to the Alternative GCSE podcast. I'm your host, Emma, and I've been working in education now for over 12 years in various different roles. This podcast tackles some of the wider issues in education and hopefully will spark some more conversations to drive change so that every single child and teenager can be fully supported to grow into well-rounded, happy and successful adults. So let's get started. and welcome to the podcast. Today I thought I would do a little bonus episode for over Christmas and I may do a couple actually. I was um, looking through and sorting through some cupboards as I normally do around the time when I have some extra time off and I stumbled across one of my notebooks and this notebook in particular makes me laugh quite a lot. It uh, started its life in 2012 um, so quite a long time ago and it's my first little book of research all about education and just reading through it it kind of triggered something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about so one of the people that has truly inspired me is Ken Robinson now unfortunately Ken Robinson died um, a couple of years ago but he was and is probably one of the most influential people in the field of education reform. And he actually did a TED talk back in 2006. And this was when TED was really just something that people didn't know about. It was something new. And even though it had been formed in 1982 initially, nobody really took them up on speaking. Um, If those of you who don't know, TED talks are basically talks and a platform for people with original ideas and that could be in engineering it could be about poverty it could be about global warming or climate change or anything like that they have a solution and they also have a problem and the solution often is quite creative and innovative and they speak to initially it was a selected audience of people that had the resources and finances to invest in such problems and solutions and over time they realized that actually these ted talks should be broadcast and so ken did a and i should say his name is sir ken robinson sir ken robinson did a speech called schools kill creativity and it was in 2006 and in his talk he basically outlines the issues with education in a really quite fun and humorous way as he usually did speak in that kind of dry sarcastic tone and it just outlines the main issues the video absolutely exploded um to say exploded is an understatement 2007 was when I first um, heard of it and heard of Ken and obviously this video had been a year in um, in the public's eye at, at that time and since then that video has subsequently been watched over 74 million times and I recently searched through this notebook and I've been writing about this for 14 years and I, I had to take a minute there because I felt very old but um it made me really think about why that video triggered something in me and something that I still get so much enjoyment out of and can still see a big impact with. 
So some of the key takeaways from that video, if you haven't seen it, that still resonate with me is the idea that schools are not investing enough in nurturing creativity in children and young people. In fact, they do the opposite and they tend to suppress it. And I've spoken about this before, but we see it day to day. This goes hand in hand with the episode on labels that was a few episodes back and the episode on dyslexia and also grit. I often get pupils who are afraid of making mistakes, but these are the key to finding new ways to be creative and innovative. And so Ken in the video talks about how children are just suppressed and their creativity is kind of beaten down a little bit because they're not taught to think in original ideas. And it kind of brought me back to a time when I was teaching in a school and I had just started. It was my very first class. And ironically, I still teach two of those pupils who are now doing their A-levels in that class. And I remember my classroom looked pretty much like a work in progress most of the year I am not very neat and I definitely wasn't I'm a lot neater now but I was definitely not very neat when I was 21 and I was newly graduated and I remember the head teacher always coming in and looking at my boards in absolute disgust because everything was not at right angles all the art was different it was just the kids original ideas And the rest of the teachers in the school tended to have similar kind of pieces of art repeated 30 times. And whilst I'm sure there is a place for that, I could not think of anything worse, quite frankly. Um, So my classroom is always alive and very busy and active. And the kids absolutely loved learning in my classroom. But As Ken points out, this isn't typical of a lot of classrooms. Some teachers do go the extra mile and do work within the system that they're given. But on the whole, unfortunately, it's mostly everybody does the same thing. He also spoke a lot about organisation of schools, which, when you think about it, is quite strange. He likens the school in the video to a conveyor belt, starting at nursery, and you're just on it, and you're being pushed and pushed and pushed through all the different stages until you eventually reach... Well, being a professor, that's the whole point of going to school, if you think about it logically, because all the way through, even right now, I'm teaching GCSE students and A-level students how to write essays, knowing full well that a lot of them will, some of them will do apprenticeships and not even use the essay skills. A lot of them will do very creative jobs that do not require writing essays. And only a small proportion of the population actually end up doing research and doctorate degrees. And while there's a place for academia and lots of people do go on to that pathway, not very many people do. And actually more people enjoy being creative and get a buzz out of doing something they love as opposed to sitting down writing essays. He also mentions how you're grouped. And again, when you really think about this, it's a bit stupid. You're grouped by age. It's always as if you have been stamped at birth with a best before date. And (laughs) there you are. There's your age. Off you go. You're in nursery. Um, There's no filtering process. There's no way that if you've got a five-year-old in one class, and those of you that are teachers listening will resonate with this, you could have a class full of 32 people. Um, and I say people, not children, because they are small people. Some of them could have very minimal language understanding. 
some of them could have the language acquisition of an eight-year-old. Some of them would barely understand how to count or read, um, and, and others of them would be reading chapter books. But why is it that we group kids according to age? And I know this does change later on as the kids get older and they go through into their secondary school career and they're kind of put by ability. I'm not saying either of these are the correct way that we should group kids. But the way that I do it is that I have groups and I've only got 11 of them. So it is very small in comparison to a school organization. But I kind of move kids around for what they need. So if I have a year nine or year eight student who is finding everything a bit too easy, I'll get in touch with their parents and say, do they want to come to the GCSE class because they completely understand this? Equally, if there is a kid in a GCSE class and they're not doing so well, I say, do you want me to support them a bit more or do you want me to move them to the Key Stage 3 class? And the beauty of my groups is that no one knows their ages. They're all from different schools. So it's kind of like a little bit of anonymity there. So there's no fear of worrying about being moved down or up necessarily, but it's more catered to what they need. And I think schools lack this. I've recently taken up role of being a governor in a school. And it's been a really long time since I've looked into proper Ofsted policies and things like that. And at the meeting, I was actually horrified by what the head teacher told me and the head teacher said that Ofsted now do not differentiate work all the kids are taught the same at the same level there is no differentiation at all now I'm sure that that does really help a lot of kids raise their game but I'm sure that there are a lot of kids that are quite bored and frustrated about the lack of variation in the topics that they're learning and I just got a little bit frustrated with the whole idea that you are not differentiating work, even by questioning. Although I didn't ask specifically about questioning, but the idea of them all doing the same thing, I think, is a bit detrimental to their overall creativity, innovation and communication, especially if they're bored. Um, I think... If this continues, it could lead to a lot of students either feeling completely out of their depth because their work's too hard, or they could feel on the other end of the spectrum, as I said, completely bored. The other takeaway from from Ken's speech in 2006 was the idea of people not being set up for the world of work. And I have done podcasts on this, but this is where it comes from. This is where all of the ideas come from. He really did change my life when I stumbled upon his podcast, his, sorry, not podcast, his talk on TED. He said that education needs to feed and fuel people's passions and it needs to become more organic and you can create the conditions, not the outcomes. Businesses and teachers and money needs to change the model of the current education system. He also spoke about the nature of college and pupils having a mentor to help and guide them through their own ideas. He spoke about challenge-based learning and the idea that you should encourage children to adapt and create opportunities for them. And one of the schools that I have spoken about briefly before is High Tech High. So I have read all of Ken's books and I have seen him talk in a few conferences. And the books that he has written that I've read um, are Finding Your Element, which is a fabulous book all about how to find what you're passionate about and stick to it. The other one is Creative Schools. 
Um, I actually went on holiday, as sad as this sounds, to read this book because I knew that I would I wanted time to just kind of absorb everything that was in it. And I will do separate um, episodes on all these books because the ideas that come off them are plentiful and really quite transformational, I think, in how you see your own kids if you're a parent and if you're a kid listening to this, how you see your future unfolding as well. Um, Creative Schools it was a really good book and it opened my eyes to lots of different ways that education all around the world occurs. And I know that I talk about Finland a lot, so I'm going to try and avoid talking about Finland, but there are schools in America that have set up classrooms, for example, where there, there is a room for elderly people um, to come out of their care homes and teach really young children how to read. And they're trained up by teachers on how to, you know, ask questions and how to help the kids in primary school to read. This is elementary school because it's American. And the results of doing things like this all across America have been astounding. Um, when I say across America, it's not, there are not many schools that do this, but they literally were looking at the elderly people and the medications before and during and it was staggering because the old people had a sense of purpose the elderly people I shouldn't say old people the elderly people had a sense of purpose they were really excited to get up in the morning to go and help these kids read even if it was just for an hour a day um they were really excited so much so that mobility issues seemed to kind of fade away a little bit and they came off their medication a lot of them if they were depressed or anxious because they were going to see a little child and for some of these older people they don't have family they didn't have grandchildren that would come and visit them and so this intergenerational community building kind of situation happened and it wasn't just beneficial for the elderly people it was super beneficial for the small people as well because they could have conversations that they might not normally have if they don't have a grandparent present in their lives or if their grandparents are far away it also created a whole idea about respecting your elders and respecting old people and not just seeing them as people that have white hair and sit in chairs but people that have lived and they were able to share their experiences with the children and the children were you know putting on concerts for them and things like this and we should be encouraging this kind of education we shouldn't be segregated into different little rooms and different buildings and that's just one such example of creative schools that I thought was incredible another one is high tech high and I think I have mentioned high tech high before but it's the idea of project-based learning and the idea that you are given a project to work on this is more I would say for year seven through to um sixth form where you're given a project to work on for six weeks and you have to work on that project systematically and at the end of it you get to present it to everybody else and they don't do exams they don't do written worksheet kind of situations they literally get put into teams to work in and it'll be different ages it'll be different strengths and they all work together to produce there's one example of an electric car that they built and raced another example was of a play another one was to build um, a kind of mechanical clock with gears which covered physics chemistry yeah we did cover chemistry and maths 
and to write a play, write a novel, um, all these different ideas we could do. And the classrooms are huge because you have one facilitator that works with a few groups of 10 or 12 students in. And so you could actually reduce costs by doing things like this. And it just, all the points that Ken used to write about are incredible. And he was really passionate about everybody achieving their full potential and that no one should be left behind. No one should feel like they are not good enough to learn and be curious about the world. And I think that's why I love his stuff so much. And I went to go and see him a few times, once in Brussels for um, a youth employment conference, which spanned over the course of three days. And it had speakers from all over Europe discussing employability and how in certain parts of Europe, say Italy, Southern Italy, um, certain parts of, at the time, this was 2015, uh, certain parts of Eastern European countries were having trouble keeping workers because they were moving to places like London for better job opportunities and how they could invest in their own young people and build up their own economies to help them to stay because the elderly people in these places were kind of being left um, and the country was having trouble with finances. So Education has ripples and tidal waves effects on the economy. And I suppose going to something like that really does open your eyes, and it was called eyes actually, um, to how if we fix education, how it could have amazing impacts on hundreds of lives where people aren't unemployed, where everybody has a purpose, everybody works together in big communities. And it does sound a bit idealistic, but I think it is absolutely doable. The other time I heard him speak was when he um, he used to be an ambassador um, for a dance. I can't remember this. It was a long time ago, a dance um, place. And um, he attended the Cohen Lectures. And um, I think his name is Robert Cohen. Um, he's a really famous dancer, although he's very old now. Um, and they were speaking about dance and how schools just don't encourage dance or arts at all. And actually the funding for it is just depleted. And it's schools like the one that he was speaking at, which encourage and give scholarships to deprived, um, materially deprived pupils. And the importance of art, the importance of seeing dances and shows and the impact that can have on someone is almost identical, if not more prevalent in someone's life to reading a book or looking at Shakespeare or doing maths and figuring things out. It's really staggering, isn't it, that we spend most of our academic lives learning English from worksheets and grammar and we learn but we don't learn how to communicate very well to each other. And we learn how to do maths by rote. We learn what square numbers are, square roots, but we don't think about abstraction. And we don't think about looking at things in a mathematical way. We just know how to do maths, basic maths. Science is the same. We're taught very modular and we're not taught about how to fit all those modules together to make a wider, bigger impact. And this, again, is what he was talking about a lot. And he is my absolute hero because without him, I probably would not be doing what I'm doing today. And I wouldn't have ever kind of grown and flourished in a way that I have in my career. I probably would have 
stayed teaching in the same primary school and there is nothing wrong with that and lots of people do stay in the same school for a long time but I also and I'm sure you do as well listening to this you know teachers that stay stagnant in the same career in the same school and they become quite bitter and they resent the job and I never wanted to be like that and I'm really really grateful that I've been able to carve my way it's not it's not a case of it's been given to me I've had to literally carve my way um, over the past 10 years because next year marks the 10th year of my business um through blood sweat and tears and giving up christmases and nights out and all that kind of thing in pursuit of what i think i want to do and the thing that makes me happy and i really hope that all of you listening have someone like this someone like ken robinson or someone who does light a fire in you and who gives you inspiration and a purpose because I think as humans it's essential that we have a purpose and that we constantly drive towards whatever it is that our talents are I think finding your talent finding your element as Ken's book um, is called is crucial in feeling like you are an accomplished successful adult and I hope that everyone listening has found that element and those that haven't I have some ideas for you so one of the ideas um, I was listening to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a fabulous physicist, a bit controversial with some of his uh, things that he says. But when he was a kid, he was a black American growing up and his parents were born in the 1920s. So they suffered an enormous amount of racism. And it was really, really, really unlikely that because of where his parents didn't really have a lot of money and um, he didn't have a lot in terms of anything. His parents always used to take him and his siblings, I think he has two or one, I'm not quite sure, um, to different places at the weekend. And his whole point that he was making was one day after going on lots of different trips to museums, to geologist centres, to arts places where they made things, inexpensive trips, he came across the uh, like an observatory and for him that was it I don't know how old he was but subsequently he's helped the military with astrophysics he has written countless bestsellers that helps to dispel and I suppose not dumb down but make it um Astrophysics, astrophysics more accessible i have two of his books astrophysics it's hard to say this astrophysics in a hurry and um also uh one on warfare and how that's helped to shape physics and spur on engineering and he's a fabulous author and the way that he explains science is mesmerizing actually and going back to what sir ken said if you or having trouble finding your element, do things, explore. If you're a parent and you have a kid that's disinterested, take them to different places, take them kicking and screaming if you have to. But the more that they explore life and you give them opportunities, and I'm not just talking about documentaries on the TV, I'm talking about physically going to places, make time for your kids, have discussions with them, do things that you are outside of your comfort zone and take them to sports that you'd never heard of before. At the worst, it's going to be a funny story. At the best, it might be the thing that they enjoy doing for the rest of their lives. And I think as a parent, it's absolutely essential to have these kind of things going on. 
And this is the whole point of having a hero. It's someone who inspires you and someone who or something that really lights you up. So um, I will be doing another Christmas podcast. I'm going to be talking especially about motivation. And um, yeah, have a lovely Christmas. I will probably not be posting one before Christmas. And I will hear or I'll be here after Christmas. Enjoy yourselves. Please like and review the podcast and share it because I love getting comments and I've had some lovely comments recently from some people who are listening. So thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And next year I'll be posting an awful lot of stuff about the podcast because I would like more people to get involved. Mm -hmm.